This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to welcome you to this Friday edition of uh, Real Talk. It's July 28th already. Summer halfway done. John Hicks here along for the ride on what promises to be another riveting episode. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. We're going to dig into the science of the art of uh, the importance of and probably sometimes the perilous journey, the potentially perilous journey of branding. Yeah. This is the subject we're taking on today's show, and I'm looking forward to this. This is the type of roundtable you can have in the middle of summer when everybody's road tripping, and some of you are going to be listening to this on your AirPods while you're walking your dogs with your feet in the sand on your favorite beach. This is the time of year where we can start to dig into something and, and ask bigger questions and not get distracted by a fast-moving news cycle. Now, our interview today, our Real Talk roundtable, we're bringing in two of the industry's best. One of them's joining us from New York. One of them's joining us from Vancouver. And we're going to be talking, I mean, prompted by Elon Musk's rebrand of Twitter to X, prompted by questions around Hockey Canada's future based on recent scandal, uh, prompted by some of the items in the news, but, of course, inspired by bigger picture. We're, we're, we're going to get into the idea, and not just logos, but how brands come about and why they're important and when they need to change and when they need to stay the same. And I think that this is going to be really, really interesting stuff. At the end of the episode today, of course, we'll wrap up with Trash Talk as we do every Friday presented by Local Environmental Services. And we've got some great emails there. And we want to get into a couple of emails that are, well, they're insightful and they're articulate, not quite a fit for Trash Talk, uh, but a couple of you wrote in prompted by conversations we had on the show this week. I'm talking about Jillian, who wants to talk about Jonah Hill's DMs and texts to his ex-girlfriend, and Anton, who wants to talk about intelligent life outside of planet Earth. He was uh, inspired to write into the show, Johnny, based on our conversation yesterday. Are we alone? We're not alone. There's no way we're alone. We're going to get to those in just a second. Our expert guests coming up on this episode of Real Talk, but we wanted to let you know that this show is presented by our friends at Rello. You know, halfway through the summer right now, kids are in full swing, sometimes literally on the playground, right? Having a blast, playing out of those spray parks. Things that work in your situation may have come to a grinding halt. Depending on where you are, you see all your neighbors packing up their tent trailers and the like. Most people have vacation on the brain, but not you. You're thinking bigger than that. You know that summer is the absolute best time to take that real estate course you've been thinking about and start a career that you actually love. So why not leave cubicle life behind for good with Rello? Rello's online real estate courses are fully accredited to help you get your real estate license in Alberta. Get licensed to sell residential real estate, you can sell commercial real estate, or even both with Rello's convenient self-paced courses. You can get started today by visiting Rello.ca. That's R-E-L-O dot C-A. 
You want to get to Anton's first? So, so, so here's the deal. A congressional hearing this week, if you missed it, a whistleblower testified in front of Congress that basically he has every reason to believe, based on good authority, things that he's seen or things that people he trusts have seen, that, well, th- there are extraterrestrial beings among us, that, that wreckage has been discovered in past by American authorities and contained within that wreckage non-human remains. We got into this at length on Thursday's episode on the July 27th episode. You can listen to that anywhere you find your podcast or find it on YouTube. But of course, it got a lot of us talking. And basically, to sum up the conversation yesterday, I believe in aliens and UFOs, and you don't. Is no, that, is that that's fair to not say? what happened <laughs> did, at all. Did I, did I, did I oversimplify the, the argument, the debate? Mm, yes. Okay, well, would you like to state your position more clearly? I, I simply think that there's too many filters. There's too many barriers in place. There's 90 billion years of open space ever expanding. We could get into the whole thing about space-time continuum and... Uh, and all of it, but I just think it's 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 improbable, not impossible, that uh, intelligent life can get here. And if they could, I I don't think it would be good for us. I don't think it would be like a hi, here's all the technology, let's hi- shake hands. It would be we're getting harvested. Yeah, well, the, yeah. so maybe we will be. Maybe we will be. Maybe that's why everybody's so panicked about what they heard at the congressional hearing. Yeah. So anyway, Anton wrote in and he said that Johnny brought up exactly on Thursday what was going through my head. Uh, when you said that you figured when Donald Trump was president, we would have heard if there was evidence. If on anyone UFOs, was going to blow the lid, it was him. He would have been the one to yeah. tell the American people. And Anton says, when Trump got elected, I thought for sure. Now we'll know if aliens exist and have visited Earth after a few months and nothing. I was 100 percent convinced that no extraterrestrials had visited Earth to the U.S. government's knowledge. But then Space Force happened, he says. <laughs> and, and I could just imagine Trump during the briefing. Anton, I'm trying to decide if I should try my Trump impression. It's not very good. So I won't. he says, quote, we have to stop these dangerous, illegal space aliens. We need a border patrol force. But for space, it will be the greatest space force and will make the Martians pay for it. Anton says, so after that, I'm skeptical on Team Jespo on this one. Skeptical because I'm sure that they would use any excuse, worldly or otherworldly, to increase funding of the military. That from Anton. So he, yeah. he, he focuses in on the Donald Trump element here. Maybe Trump's an alien. You never know. I mean, if anybody was going to peel off their orange face and reveal themselves to be something else, it would be. The hair just doesn't make sense. The hair should have been the first red flag. We are going to talk branding, but I want to get on to this yesterday's show. We uh, sat down with registered psychologist Kimberly Canall, who joined me in studio. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation, and a lot of you uh, let us know that you did as well. We got a lot of sort of one-line, two-line emails from people just saying, one from Laws, who was watching us from Costa Rica. He said, more of those types of interviews, please. And then we got a, a, a longer and thoughtful one from Jillian, one of our regular commenters. As a matter of fact, she's been on the show before. And I wanted to get into this before we officially kick off today's discussion. Uh, Johnny, would you tee up that quick clip from a registered psychologist, Kim Canal yesterday? So if you don't know the background, um, Jonah Hill, you know him, the Hollywood a- actor, obviously the A-lister. And, uh, well, he found himself kind of exposed, I guess is the way to say it, when Sarah Brady, who is a former partner of his, uh, a a, a former girlfriend of his, um, after their breakup, released a whole bunch of 
of messages, of private messages, DMs, texts, whatever they were, of him basically saying to her, and I'm summing up a, a whole bunch of stuff into basically one sentence, um, it's not cool with me. She's a pro surfer, by the way. Uh, it's not cool with me if you post photos of yourself in a bikini. It's not cool with me if you hang out with guys with their shirts off. Uh, I'm setting my boundaries. This isn't cool. I'm not down with it. Whatever. And uh, he's been heavily criticized, has Jonah Hill, over the past number of weeks for this. And um, so we wanted to ask him about it. She's a relationship expert. She's a conflict resolution expert. And here's part of what she said to us on July 27th. He's using psychological terms in order to bolster his case, right? So that's really the confusing part about it. But the things he says are, you know, if you're hanging out with these types of people, then you're not for me. And he, he you know, really degrades her friends, her past, her uh, interactions, which are part of her job. And that is the, pr the problematic piece of this, is he's saying, but if this is your choice, then you're not the person for me. Right. And it's like, well, this, isn't her this is her job. This is who she was when you met her. I was just going to say, he knew what she did yeah. before he met her, before he started dating yeah. her. So that was our conversation, a portion of it with Kimberly Canole. You can find that in our archive. So Jillian, to talk at ryanjesperson.com, says, Oh, look, another male exposed for not quite being the nice guy he pretends to be. And, oh, look, the woman who exposed him is being attacked for exposing an abusive man. So here's the thing about partner violence, uh, specifically male on female violence, says Jillian. If we think it needs to stop and women should speak up, How? And to whom? If my friend whose high school boyfriend beat her up came out with her story today, would that be wrong just because that dude now has a wife and kids? Like, do we believe in calling out abuse or women just sucking it up and moving on? Do we believe in women being able to talk about their lives or only as long as it doesn't embarrass a man? This situation reminds me of a scene in a certain pink thing, <laughs> a certain pink themed movie out at the moment society makes demands of women that are unworkable like in this jonah hill situation you know abuse is wrong report it but not the way you're doing it talk about abuse but don't shame the abusive guy women need to share about this stuff but not publicly talk about it publicly but don't name names well then how can we end abuse if women won't name their accusers or their abusers rather uh, you know she says she was abused she should have to prove it uh, she released proof of his abusive text, but how crass to violate his privacy. That did come up yesterday, by the way. And yeah, he's abusive, but he's working on it so you can shut up now. Jill says the fact is we want women to suffer in silence, and that's why there's no society-approved path for sharing abuse and bringing men to task. It's a joke, she says, but fear not. Jillian says, I have a solution. When toxic men and boys share inappropriate pictures or videos of women, society has most often given the response, well, ladies, you shouldn't have taken the picture. You know, con conveniently ignoring all the photos taken without consent, she says, but I digress. Fellas, here's my advice to you. You don't want your abusive messages made public. Don't send toxic texts to women. You can't expect privacy if you just put it out there, right? You don't like these rules? Sorry, but you made them. Welcome to your patriarchy where everyone eventually loses that from jillian i appreciate that you can send us your thoughts anytime on any interview to talk at ryan jesperson.com 
And every month, we give away an email of the month. It's a Real Talk studio mug to the best email, the email that really got the audience going. You know what I realized is that we, we've, we've forgotten to award a past email of the month, which means uh, our first show in August. Double we're gonna, up. We're going to double yeah, up. Right. We're going to give away two. Uh, coming up in 90 seconds, our branding roundtable. Wanted to let you know quickly, uh, you can join Johnny and friends. Uh, it, it's going to be like, basically, it, it, it's, it's like a, a two-day just a, a, a vegan celebration at Friesen Brothers South Edmonton store coming up tomorrow and Sunday, the 29th and 30th of July. It's going to be absolutely incredible. 25 bucks, all you can eat. They've got veggie lasagna. They've got veggie shepherd's pie. They've got a bunch of items that you wouldn't normally see in their department, in the ready-to-go uh, kind of section. And uh, yeah, I would get there early. I'm going to be there when the, when the salad bar is tip-top full. <laughs> You're there like... As soon as they're putting it oh, out, yeah. 4 to 8 p.m. Saturday and Sunday, Friesen Brothers presenting this vegan feast. And, and if you know the family behind Friesen Brothers, yeah. you know, they don't take the word feast lightly. No, it's going to be incredible. So like you said, vegan lasagna, vegan shepherd's pie, vegan cowboy baked beans, and a whole lot more vegan entrees, 25 bucks a person, all you can eat. Check out Friesen.com slash vegan. This is only at the South Edmonton Friesen Brothers store. At the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park, August 10th is Miracle Treat Day, and they have done an unbelievable job this legacy, raising hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, literally, for the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. You can swing by a Dairy Queen in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Baseline Road, any of them, on August 10th. And every single cent that's raised from the sale of those blizzards is going to go to the Stollery Help Children's Health across the province of Alberta. But if you own a business or you're going to go meet up with a bunch of friends or maybe you just want to go door to door in your neighborhood and make people's days, you can order a whole bunch of blizzards in advance ahead of August 10th to make sure that you really make that donation go as far as it can. And of course, who doesn't love a blizzard in the middle of August? Everybody loves a blizzard. That's the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, proud supporters of Miracle Treat Day. And we're sounding the alarm because you're getting down to the final few days. As a matter of fact, two days left. If you're listening to this on Friday, if you're listening to this on the weekend, you're up against the clock to get your tickets for the YWCA of Edmonton's 50-50. This is their partnership, of course, with K-Days, and the YWCA is thrilled to be named the official K-Days 50-50 partner. If you want to get your tickets, you go to k-days.com slash 50-50. I know that's a lot, so we'll just put it in the show notes on the podcast, on YouTube. Get your 50-50 tickets. You can walk away with a ton of dough. Plus, along the way, you're helping the YWCA Edmonton carry out their amazing programs. Do not delay. Get those 50-50 tickets today. Well, it's, it was kind of the story of the week, or at least one of them. Uh, Elon Musk, the, 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 the mad genius, uh, however you want to call him, uh, the guy who went ahead and got $44 billion together, to buy Twitter decided that that platform's iconic bird logo, its iconic name, uh, the, the name which has achieved verb status, which very few do, right? Google, Jetski, Twitter, and Tweet. I mean, very few of them have achieved verb status, but Twitter did. Musk said, time's up. Time's up on the brand. Time's up on the logo. From here on in, it'll be known as X. 
It got us thinking. It got us talking about brands and logos and the faces of brands and brand reputations. And we thought it might make for a cool conversation on our weekly Real Talk Roundtable. So we reached out to two of the best in the business. These were our first two choices for the roundtable, and we're thrilled that both of them have agreed to spend some time with us today. Ashley Harrigan started off in the comms world back in 2007 as a press or an intern at the United States Senate. Uh, since then, uh, she's worked as an engagement and a brand strategist on a ton of brands that you're going to recognize. Subaru, Papa John's, Tempur-Pedic, Jack Link's Beef Jerky, GNC, Corbell Champagne, Rubbermaid. These are big brands, and Ashley's helping them steer their ship. Josh Dunford founded Burn Kit, a brand agency, and has led it for more than 20 years He's worked on brand projects for a ton of notable companies, large and small, including ones I guarantee you're familiar with. Arcteryx, Ritchie Brothers, Electronic Arts, EA, Herschel Supply Company, a small brand known as PlayStation, and more. Josh is joining us from Vancouver. And Ashley, I'm pretty sure you're joining us from New York, aren't you? That's right. Out on the East Coast. Beautiful day in the city. Awesome. Well, thank you to the both of you for joining us. Um, I want to encourage you to just treat this like we're having coffees or mimosas or whatever you like. Feel free to jump in on one another, add on the thought that the other may say, or, or, or even take issue with something that I say, because quite frankly, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think that maybe we should start, uh, Josh, and thank you for waking up early on the West Coast to join us. Uh, why, why don't we start with, with a, a differentiation between brand and and logo. Uh, a lot of people, when Elon Musk made the announcement, were, were concerned that that blue bird was going to disappear. Now, that's the logo, but the brand is bigger than that, right, Josh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think it's instructive, and brand is a bit of an esoteric topic uh, beyond just the idea of brand itself. There's all these other terms like brand identity, brand image, brand positioning personality brand equity you hear all these kind of terms and so it's a confusing topic for sure and you know uh, just to you know at the risk of oversimplifying i think one of the ways that's nice or a nice way to think about it is to think about a brand as a person and it's a good way to kind of put that into context so an organization or an entity as a person <clears throat> what is their brand well the brand is your experience with that that organization it's it's the it's it's the experience that you have with their products and with the way that they present themselves. But it's also the way, you know, going back to this person analogy, it's the way that person thinks and who they are inside and what their vision is and what they're, what they're bringing forward. So it's really about kind of that lived experience with the company and the entity. And, and that shows up in, in the way that they're, the way they write and the way they talk and the way they look. And so all of those, graphic identity elements which include the logo is is the way that they're being presented visually so brand kind of encapsulates all of that and uh yeah it's it's uh and then graphic identity i would say is really about that visual side so in the case of x we're looking at a kind of mysterious logo and name that's come out of you know somewhere but we don't really know a whole lot about it which is part of the reason why it feels so uh kind of confusing i think yeah, it does feel confusing because it feels like it came out of nowhere and it feels like there was nothing particularly wrong with the Twitter brand. But but then again, what do I know? Um, Ashley, it's almost like there's two brands colliding here in a way, right? Because Twitter's a brand, but Elon Musk is definitely a brand, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Elon is kind of his entity in himself, right? Like he absolutely is the face of, you know, what was formerly Twitter, now known as X. And I know there's a lot of conversation, there's a lot of news, there's a lot of skepticism around it. Um, you know, people thought that Twitter would break, right, when Elon first took it over. So there's been a lot of conversation about it for, you know, quite a while now. And, um, you know, for Elon, I think a lot of people are kind of thrown off by the term X, but it really is full circle for him. So uh, what a lot of people forget is that he's actually, um, you know, founded a co-founder of PayPal, which started off as X.com. He took X.com back over, you know, after kind of losing the rights to it. Um, X.com now kind of redirects Twitter. Um, he has, you know, the Tesla Model X, he has SpaceX. So for him, this is very on brand and it, it actually doesn't surprise me in the least. Is is the X rebrand different than most, would you say, Ashley? Yeah, I mean, when we look at rebrands, what we see is that most companies tend to want to have some form of nostalgia, some form of like tying to their former, tying to their past, some sort of rooted system. But for him, I mean, Elon has literally said that he's going to take like a a blowtorch to the bird outside of the Twitter, you know, now X headquarters. So he's completely starting over. And, you know, a rebrand to this magnitude, in my opinion, has never been done before. This is completely shedding the old and starting over with the new. So, you know, a lot of people ask, is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? And I think, you know, it's too early to tell, but it's definitely one that, you know, at least I'm keeping my eye and I think if history tells us anything, definitely going to be one to watch. Huh. Josh, I was thinking like in, in, in my brief introductory thoughts, talking about like when, when a brand becomes a verb and you think like when someone says, I'm going to Google something, right? And Twitter's kind of like that in a way, right? I'm going to tweet or I'm going to retweet. Um, I think of someone that wants to go jet skiing, like Sea-Doo doesn't love that people call it jet skiing, but would it be brand suicide or business suicide for jet ski to rebrand for google i mean everyone's talking about google and alphabet when your brand becomes a verb is it a riskier rebrand josh i i mean there's a lot of equity in a in a when there's a quality like that like kleenex or you know for facial tissues or you know there's lots of examples so yeah i mean he's certainly uh, elon in this case elon musk in this case is is turfing quite a bit of what most people would consider to be some kind of equity um actually you probably agree i think but uh and so we all wonder why you know why would someone do this but you know we've heard a bit about some vision for a kind of a future thing that's much bigger you know in this kind of like super app and 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 so yeah i guess it's a it's the it's a place to make news and maybe a very important place to make news the actual platform itself and so why not uh why not do something crazy like this because we're all talking about it and and uh and so you may keep and retain and and build buzz and and there's probably some advantages there although it it remains a bit hard to see i think at this point um because we don't really know the full vision it's just this sort of little bit of an idea or some hints about the future so kind of think it's kind of a wait and see um but yeah turfing like a known verb about tweeting you know it seems it seems insane but uh it uh yeah what remains to be seen where 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 he's going to go with this yeah i guess i mean ashley what's the biggest risk that elon runs here yeah i mean i would agree with josh it's just the overarching brand equity um i think it's probably one of the most well-known brands on the planet i think people inherently will still call it twitter for a while until it's you know kind of fully made its mark but i think 
what's interesting is that, you know, Elon has stated that, you know, tweeting and Twitter made sense at, you know, the beginning of the organization's kind of idea when you could have, you know, a character limit to talk to people. And now it's so much more than that. You know, like Josh said, it's going to be kind of the super app and then everything app. Some people have said it's like the WeChat um, for the West. Uh, so, you know, I think his vision is that it's going to be more than just tweeting. You can, you know, conduct your financial world online. Maybe this is something that a lot of small businesses are going to adapt. And Twitter and tweeting wouldn't really make sense for, you know, the business model and the organization as a whole. So in that aspect, um, you know, I think he's not afraid to live in the now and kind of look futuristically. So, you know, pending on his vision, I think it's, I think it's a smart move. Uh, Ken is in our live chat. He says, this is one of the worst rebrandings I've seen since Prince went to the symbol. Um, I don't I don't actually know that Prince has moved to the symbol. The artist formerly known as Prince was so bad because he was just from from a talent level, from an everything level. Prince is so neck. I'm a huge Prince fan. He's so next level that I'm not convinced that one was a mistake because like Josh said, um, it just had everybody talking about him again. Ashley, do you think that Prince made a mistake? Um, I'm I'm originally from Minnesota, uh, actually, oh. uh, where Prince, you know, his stomping grounds are. So I I don't think he made a mistake. I think it kind of became symbolic with who he was, but I think he was another person who just was his own brand. Um, and you know, in in Minneapolis and Minnesota, they would have kind of his logo and his you know kind of projected on the sidewalks and all these types of things. So. I don't think you made a mistake. No, I disagree with that. Okay, Ashley, what is one of the worst rebrands you've ever seen in your life? Um, this is prior to my lifetime, but I do a lot of reading, you know, being in the industry, and um, I know maybe many of our listeners would be familiar with kind of the the Coke and Pepsi kind of wars back in the 1980s. I know there's even been some Netflix commentary on it, a little bit of a documentary there. Um, but I think the new Coke was probably one of the worst flops that at least I have read up on. Um, it was so bad that, you know, they had tens of thousands of people kind of writing in that they were, you know, abandoning Coke. Um, at that time, you know, Coke and Pepsi were kind of a 50-50 split, right? Like some people love Pepsi and some people love Coke and they kind of had this head-to-head relationship. Um, and when Coke rebranded to new Coke and they kind of changed their formula, um, Pepsi actually celebrated. They gave their employees the day off. They took out a full page ad in the in the New York Times, I think it was, saying that um, the other guy just blinked. Uh, it was very bad. Uh, people were pouring it down cons- uh, sewers. They're loyal consumers. You know, I think they turned their back to them and they were trying to cater to those who loved Pepsi by kind of changing their formula and calling it New Coke. Um, I think the rebrand lasted around 80 days, 79 days. And now we have Coca-Cola classic. Oh my gosh. So, so you're the, you're the creative director at Zag. If, if, if a company with the magnitude of Coke, like I never, I won't go too deep down this storytelling, but I had one of the highlights of my career. I went for three weeks to shoot a mini series in the horn of Africa, in Ethiopia. And in, in one of the, 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 the poorest parts of the world, fascinating. I mean, just amazing to be there, heartbreaking to be there. And you're driving through these villages that don't have running water. You're driving through villages where women are not allowed to own property and girls aren't allowed to go to school and, and, and traditions and problems and tribal warfare is still happening from thousands of years ago. And there's a Coca-Cola billboard. Like, honestly, that, that to me, I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. It's one of the most globally pervasive brands I've ever seen for a brand that big to walk back a rebrand in less than three months. 
I mean, mm-hmm. that that's got to be people are losing their jobs over that. Absolutely. And the money behind it and the effort. I mean, Josh and I both know being in the industry, the effort that it takes to rebrand something as simple as Papa John's, you know, they dropped their apostrophe um, when they rebranded. And even that was a, a big, big undertaking. So, yeah, I agree to completely walk it back. Uh, there were some mistakes made. Wow. Josh, what's is there a disastrous rebrand that's front of mind for you? Do you think of one in particular? Well, a little closer to home here in Canada, uh, I actually think back to MEC, a Mountain Equipment uh, Co-op. They are purchased by private equity, and they, you know, they have this storied kind of tradition of of a great, a great first party product line for themselves, as well as bringing this uh, place to bring the sort of best of kind of outdoor equipment together for people. And you, as a co-op, you're kind of part of it, and so private equity kind of they made it, they they bought this out and kind of through private equity and uh and then they promptly rebranded to this kind of faceless little square with just a basic kind of mec in there and they dropped all semblance of this kind of previous iconic brand of with these mountains and this sort of typography attached to it and you can see they've since gone back and and actually like coke they you know back backpedaled fairly quickly and uh uh, but it was it was tragic, I think, and 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 it would also maybe the brand was good in a way that it did reflect kind of what they were doing with the organization as well. They dropped a lot of their first party products. They became more of just a generic retailer of a bunch of different brands and uh, that they sold in store. And so, yeah, exactly. And then they came back and uh, thanks, Johnny. Um, then they came back and brought the mountain back. But in some ways, the, the you know it took them about a year to get there damage was done a little bit. And, uh, and so, you know, they, they went down a road and, and none of the businesses suffered and they have brought back some first party products. And, uh, so in a way that was a bit of a kind of a local disaster, if you will, but other, other brands that kind of are out there were, you know, missteps, at least on the logo and graphic identity side, uh, you know, best Western sort of threw away a really kind of strong heritage brand that people had a lot of respect for, and they created this visual because a part of that graphic identity of a brand is is the way that the the typography or the the visuals and or the illustration style communicate about a tone and, and try to reflect that those values that are inside. And so, you know, Best Western had like a classic kind of mark that was a bit more refined, and the typography was a little more elegant. And then they kind of moved to this sort of faceless round uh, kind of BW. Yeah, exactly. It's up there on screen. It, it, it and this sort of they're late to this trend and trendy it was with this kind of three-dimensional sort of button look that everybody was doing at the time so you kind of, you feel like the what you remember of best western as in terms of their service and 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 level of quality kind of got erased a bit and it became a bit more faceless and 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 they've kept it uh and maybe arguably it is a reflection of the way the experience is at the best western now but uh those those visuals are uh they're instructive to us about how we perceive a a company and what they're offering and what that would you know what you can expect when you go and 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 visit them or or use the services or meet the people josh i'm experiencing um, i'm experiencing yeah. that as we speak like as Johnny puts up those Best Western logos and I'm looking at what you describe as the heritage one. And Ashley, I feel like you are, too, because you're nodding your head. I'm I'm thinking mm-hmm. of specific memories with my family at that hotel. I'm thinking of that hotel in specific cities that we visited 
where I stayed there. Like we connect with brands. I have actually, I don't even, this is gonna make you laugh maybe, but I, I don't know why I have a connection to the branding on Colgate. I think that the, I don't like the branding on Crest and I have no idea why. It doesn't make any sense. It's because I've always just used Colgate. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, I, I haven't thought about this before, you know, or recently, I guess, but there are a lot of loyalties, even in small transactional things like that, right? So like toothpaste, Colgate versus Crest. But, you know, you find that once people kind of pick something, it's usually based on how they make how a brand offers to make them feel, or how it's going to make them look, or, you know, it's a lot deeper than just the logo. It's a lot deeper than just the colors. Um, and I think, you know, that's where we talk about brand experience and then how people kind of, um, you know, interact with the brand, how brands treat their people, brand loyalty, all those things tie into kind of why we're choosing uh, different brands like that. I don't necessarily have an opinion of Colgate over Crest, to be honest. I think I'm more of a Crest girl, but ah. I could not tell you why, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have, I, I can't tell you why either. It makes zero sense. All I know is I've always used the one and, and I, and I, and I, and I, I just wouldn't buy Crest and it might be a way better toothpaste. I have no idea. It's funny. Yeah, it's I mean, we're so susceptible. It is. We're so susceptible yeah. to marketing, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's absolutely subliminal. And, you know, I think and Josh would probably agree in this industry, we study how many messages and opinions and advertisements and people are completely inundated with. And eventually your mind just starts to suppress it. It pushes it down. You kind of pick what you put at the top of your brain and you tend to stick to those things unless something major happens that causes people to think twice about, am I going to be loyal to this brand? You know, a lot of that has been happening in the news about, you know, maybe making certain decisions over others, what they align themselves with, that all kind of factors into, you know, the, the choices that we make every single day. Yeah, um, I'm getting fair criticism here on the live chat from Giants for Life who says that I need to live a little and try brushing my teeth with Crest. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree. Maybe I'll go wild uh, this weekend and I'll even brush with Arm and Hammer. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll That's see. The powerful Sensodyme. stuff. Yep. Sensodyme, you know, maybe. Um, uh, Ken follows up, by the way. I don't know if Ken works in branding. He's been talking a lot about brands in our live chat. He says Costco. He says there's a brilliant brand. They're associated with being closed on holidays, good pay for employees, cheap hot dogs, consistent margins, and a consistent store experience large Josh, muffins and large muffins <laughs> okay good uh it, it, what, what do you make of what jo of what uh, ken says there josh with the costco brand he's not talking about the logo right he's talking about the brand and what it represents yeah, yeah absolutely and if you, even if you hear a story about costco and their leadership and how they like the the links they go to to keep the price of the rotisserie chicken down to 7.99 you know or 5.99 in in the u.s it, uh they are fighting for you the consumer to bring you as much value as possible and and then even on even from the brand perception like uh on the on the company side i've known brands that have brought products into costco and they they they're a very very tough negotiator for pricing and they push people's prices down you can't get your product in there unless you really just scrape your margins down to a very low amount and so you you really get this feeling yeah they're 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 there to create value for me they're not spending any money in these warehouses that are not appointed in a way to uh you know feel comfortable or feel like a best western they 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 tend to uh they, they tend to you just know they're on your side in terms of value and that's a great 
position to have and people are willing to pay those membership fees yearly to be a part of that and and enjoy those savings and you feel like someone's in your court with that brand so i absolutely agree um, we're talking to if you're just tuning in live streaming this uh, real talk roundtable on the Mixler live streaming audio app presented by California Closets. We're talking to uh, creative director from Zag. Uh, Ashley Harrigan is joining us from New York. Uh, Josh Dunford joining us from Vancouver. He's the founder of Burn Kit. Um, I want to make sure there's no conflict of interest here. I didn't put this one in front of either of you ahead of time. Uh, neither of you worked on the Edmonton Elks rebrand, did you? No, okay. I don't want to put you in a tough spot. Are either of you familiar enough to talk a little bit about it? Uh, Gabe has a question here in the live chat, and uh, he says, well, you know, what about the Elks rebrand? He says they totally ignored their fan base. Uh, by that, he means season ticket holders. Um, I don't know if I 100% agree with Gabe on them ignoring their fan base. The franchise was facing a lot of pressure. I don't, I don't think I need to tell the two of you uh, in so many ways as the Cleveland Indians, <coughs> the Washington Redskins, a lot of teams mm-hmm. that have decided to change their names and update them based on pressure and I think for, for obvious reasons um, and this and this is a brand evolution um, some have been more subtle than others I thought and I'm not an expert um, I'm just a civilian I thought the the Elks rebrand was brilliant I thought that they they didn't steer too far away from their font from their colors from Esks to Elks, they kept it at four letters. I th- I think that the new logo looks really good. I think that small stuff, maybe you guys wrinkle your noses or roll your eyes at this, but even stuff like the, the new mascot is really good. Um, but for whatever reason, and maybe part of it, like Gabe says, maybe part of it is the rebrand. Maybe part of it is the fact that they haven't won a home game in four years. Um, but <laughs> but there's like, there's, there's, there's a 10% of the fans in the stands that there used to be when they were winning you know, five Grey Cups in a row. Um, Ashley, do you see this rebrand as a success? Do you see it as a failure? What are your thoughts on the Edmonton Elks? Yeah, I mean, my 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 business answer would be that if sales are down, then maybe it was a mistake. Um, you know, I think you know, at the end of the day, the objective of any business is to make money. Uh, so if, you know, if they're down in sales, whether or not it's because of the team itself, or maybe some people do feel like they kind of... Um, is something that they loved and treasured and had known for a really long time was kind of abandoned, maybe due to issues that they didn't necessarily agree with, um, can can cause people to leave. I mean, you know, we're talking about Kraft versus Colgate. You you can't compare the two, but from like a consumer um, behavior perspective, if a brand walks away from who they are and the consumer feels like you are leaving me behind, whether it's toothpaste or football, People will leave you. That's just a fact of branding and that's a fact of business. So, Josh, what do you do if you're advising the the Edmonton football team um, that at the time, let's say, is named the Eskimos and you've got people in northern Canada and other parts of the world saying um, indigenous communities don't appreciate this. Uh, this. This is something that we find offensive. We don't believe that team names that teams should be named after people groups. Um, there's there's evidence that other sports franchises are moving away from this. But then and this is all true. This is all based in reality. You have people from other northern communities, indigenous people saying and the Elks, the Eskimos at the time had them on the record saying, we don't have a problem with it. You know, they're wearing their Edmonton Eskimos hats and jackets. They go, we don't have a problem with it. They could, they could find those voices. And the fan base, as far as I understand it, was, like Gabe said in the chat, more in favor of keeping the name than it mm-hmm. was in changing the name. So you've got a liability because the criticism is never going to go away until you change it. 
But at the same time, you have a loyal fan base where the majority of them, let's say, doesn't want to change the name. Josh, what would be your advice to the board at that football team? Oh, boy. I mean, I would I have some thoughts around just the visuals themselves. But in terms of navigating those waters, it's generally speaking, you've got a directive that's coming from somewhere to make a change. And uh, and those decisions are made by leadership. And and so there's a choice to there's there's a there's a plan to make a change. And so how do you navigate that change most successfully? Well, uh, graphic identity or these lo- logos or even naming is, you know, it's a various subjective waters at some level. There's there's craft and, and people who know what they're doing that can actually shape it in a great way to be successful. But, uh, you know, design by committee is generally never great. And if the committee is the entire pool of season ticket holders, you will generally come away with something that's not going to be as as great. But all that to say, the, the typography is really strong. Um, and the 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 new look is is much more professional and sharp. But you know, uh, sports fans are incredibly uh, you know passionate about the teams that they support, and so it's a tough position. Like you're gonna you're gonna upset people at every turn. They don't like any change at all. I mean, think about Coke going from the little bit more of the raisin flavor to a little bit more of the Pepsi cherry flavor and mm-hmm. pushing to new Coke, and how quickly they ran back and ran away from that it's people's nostalgia and what they're used to they don't like change they don't appreciate change so i guess my advice to the leadership would be this is a tough change and the if you can engage your uh if you can engage your fans in the process and try to elicit uh you know feedback and input and if people feel like they're uh at least given a chance to express their opinion and share what they want that's going to be that's going to soften the blow uh, for the change that's inevitably be, inevitably going to happen. But uh, ultimately, people will have their specific opinion about a matter, and then if the choice doesn't go the way they want it to go, they're not going to feel great about it, and yeah. so it will feel like a, a. But but back to branding, you know, like the performance of the team is kind of is essential to that, and that's who they are. And so if they're not playing well and not doing well, and the and the fans aren't happy with the team's performance, uh, you know, that's going to that's gonna be maybe a bigger factor on the acceptance of the new brand. Yeah, I mean, I'll guarantee and, you this much. If, if, yeah. if the Edmonton Elks win a Grey Cup, nobody's going to care that they're not called the Edmonton Eskimos. Put it that way, right? I think yeah, that's probably that safe jersey, to say. Yeah. Um, I should yeah. have asked Rachel Notley this. Lauren makes a great comment. Notley joined us yesterday on the show. Lauren says the Alberta NDP has to rebrand. Uh, so they're not associated with the federal party, the federal NDP, which which hurts them in Alberta, to be sure. You know what, Lauren? I love that. I'm going to put that in front of our panelists. We're talking to Ashley Harrigan and Josh Dunford in just a second. Then I'm going to ask them, uh, what's a rebrand that they can think of off the top of their heads that was a huge success? And speaking of sports, does Hockey Canada need a rebrand post-scandal? When people look at that logo, they they, they probably think mostly of world junior dominance. They probably th- think of uh, Marie Poulet, Haley Wickenheiser. They probably think of Sidney Crosby to Jerome McGinley. They think of gold medals. They think of euphoria. They think of national pride. And then they also think of the sex abuse scandal and cover-ups and payouts and, 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 and a board that was just unable uh, to navigate very 
challenging and choppy waters, a board that has since been dismissed and replaced. Does the brand need to go too? We're going to go there in just a second. These conversations happen because of Real Talk partners like Athabasca University. Uh, It's Canada's open university and tens of thousands of Canadians take their post-secondary experience to Athabasca because they offer the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. The tale of the tape is phenomenal. I mean, if you look at these numbers, you know more than 95% of AU grads report that they're satisfied with the quality of their education. You know that more than 95% of Athabasca University grads would recommend AU to others, and nearly 90%, 9 out of 10, say that they are currently working in a job, graduates are, related to their field of study. 90%! You can learn more about their programs and courses, how the admissions process works, even connect with current students by checking out AthabascaU.ca. A big shout out to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy and a congratulations from us to them. You know, we talk a lot about their office in Kamloops, BC. Well, they've just been voted the best solar installation company in Kamloops. And it's no surprise, really. They're one of the most experienced solar installers in Western Canada and Kamloops agrees. You can check out their website, kubienergy.ca. They're hiring right now. And they're looking for installers that want to work in B.C., Alberta, and beyond. Kubi's committed to making a transition to solar energy simple and stress-free. If you want to check out what Kubi is all about, including their fantastic corporate digs, beautiful new offices in Edmonton and Calgary. I mean, who else has bonsai trees built into their boardroom tables? It's kubienergy.ca. And we're really excited that our partnership with Eden Landscaping is getting more and more real. We have a business partnership with them. And then I've been telling you, sharing on the personal side, my wife Carrie and I have invested in a backyard overhaul. And that is happening as we speak. I'm showing you some of the early images. I'm shooting some video in our backyard through the weeks. And and ultimately, we're going to be able to reveal the finished product. You know, this was months and months and months of planning. Carrie and I, what we envisioned our space looking like, how our boys, how our dogs could best use that space, but how we could also entertain our adult friends in a place that looked, I don't know, half decent. Uh, But then we checked in with their team and, and the ideas that they had on transforming this space on our budget, which is not a huge one, by the way, it's just blowing our minds. Their attentiveness to detail, their calls, their follow-ups, their ensuring that we're cool every step of the way gives me complete confidence to recommend Eden Landscaping to you. You can get a free quote today from them. Get the ball rolling by checking out landscapeedmonton.ca. We're talking branding today, reputation, logos, and uh, we're talking to two of uh, the continent's best, Josh Dunford, joining us from Vancouver, where he leads a team at Burn Kit. And uh, Ashley Harrigan's joining us from New York, where she's the creative director for Zag. Ashley, I wanted to give you a couple minutes to think about it. When you think of a rebrand that was a huge success, is there one that immediately comes to mind? Yeah, so I have kids. Um, so I've 
I've done some research into Lego uh, just because I was interested in, you know, the company's history. And what I actually didn't realize is that the that organization was actually on the brink of bankruptcy uh, back in the early 2000s. They had declining sales. They had, um, you know, increased competition from digital entertainment, things that were kind of coming into play in the early 2000s now that are a part of everyday life. Um, they had kind of diversified their brand focus all over the place, clothing, jewelry, anything you could think of. And they were kind of burning themselves out. They, they couldn't survive. And so I think what, you know, whether or not you want to call it a rebrand, and I would actually argue that there's kind of different levels of what we would consider a rebrand, right? Like it's not always kind of changing a logo, uh, but they went back to their basics, right? Like they respected what made them great. They went back to the blocks. They got rid of the clutter. They got rid of the junk. They looked at their markets. They, they, they engaged children to actually help them kind of formulate some of their ideas. They let kids kind of, you know, they have contests and let kids submit different things that they think would be cool to see. They had the Lego movie. Um, so when I think of Lego, and sometimes when I talk about brands that have done this successfully, it's about playing chords, not multiple keys if you're at a piano, right? So it's building yourself up versus kind of spreading yourself too thin across all these different keys that don't kind of make beautiful music. Josh, is there uh, a brand, a rebrand that really worked well, you think? Well, I do like the classics, um, I have to admit. And uh, so a lot of, uh, you know, Paul Rand's work, not not Rand Paul, Paul Rand, the famous uh, graphic designer. And uh, certainly his classic logos are just fantastic. Also in Landor, a FedEx is, is just been one of those marks that uh, from a brand kind of point of view, um, have always kind of spoken to me and, and from a visual and also, just a, a uh, just the way that the company presents itself. FedEx is, you know, they've got this echelon. They occupy this echelon of the kind of premium delivery uh, service, and they, they they get your package where you need it to go. And uh, so, I, I love those. Those are uh, those are strong brands. Um, uh, also, I I do love your ad reads, Ryan. It's always great to. I like listening to the ad reads. They're they're always excellent. So well, thanks, man. That. We we try to we try to infuse a little. Uh... You know, if it's going to be called Real Talk, the ad reads should be real. And uh, and we want our audience members to know that there's no bullshit, basically, in our partnerships. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, and, and that's part of our brand, right? Like, Absolutely. you know, brands need to be able to weather a storm and they can grain, gain credibility and, and, and build a following. And, and that's something that's not lost on us uh, at all. Yeah. Um, you talk about like big logos. Like, I don't know if, if, if this is kind of a question, pretty difficult to answer. I'd say, what, what is the best logo? What's the biggest logo in the world? Um, I mean, it's all subjective. I guess maybe we look at revenue or we look at share price, but I think of like Nike, uh, we mentioned Coca-Cola, like Apple, um, you know, is, is there one of those Ashley that you think rises above the rest as one where they just absolutely, I mean, Johnny's putting up for those watching on YouTube right now, the Apple logo that, that's right. The, I mean, that's just an absolute classic. Yeah. Yeah. And I hate to, uh, you know, be a traditionalist and kind of use all those common examples, but they're the best for a reason, right? Like Nike and Apple are two that absolutely come to mind. I mean, Apple specifically, uh, we saw the logo there on the left on the screen, but um, a lot of people don't realize that that was actually the the original logo. And it was Sir Isaac Newton under underneath an apple tree, kind of taking a bite out of an apple. And I think that lasted maybe about a year. 
uh, before Apple decided that they actually wanted their logo to kind of represent one of their core values being simplicity. So you can see it's evolved over the years. Of course, we had the rainbow, it's been black, it's been kind of that titanium. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it is completely symbolic for who they are. And it is to date, I think, one of the strongest brands out there, along with Nike, of course, too, uh, which kind of represents, I think it's from um, the Nike or from the goddess um, of victory, Nike. So it's, it's, you know, they make sense and they tie back to something. And I think that's what brands have to remember um, is that it has to stand for something and you have to keep it consistent. So when I talk about some of these legacy brands, it's like, yeah, they're great. But had they not been consistent with it, had they not stuck to it, had they not had good brand standards, had they not been, mm -hmm. um, you know, watching how it came to life across every single metric, every single, you know, media, it, it you, who knows, it might not be one of the greats, but it's about consistency being key and getting into the minds of consumers and having that repetitive feedback loop in their mind so yeah there's some of the greats but i think there's a lot of things that kind of play into that yeah a uh, shout out to carolyn davidson who was at the time a graphic design student at portland state university um and as the story famously goes uh phil knight asked her design to design a logo for at that time his new shoe company uh she billed him for 17 and a half hours of work in designing the right. nike swoosh and was paid 35 dollars right. for it right um unbelievable highway robbery yes. highway robbery i mean uh, yeah you, you could argue that 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 logo has earned nike uh probably maybe 10 times 35 billion but but i digress uh i want to ask both of you this josh your your very first thoughts uh does hockey canada all things considered need a rebrand i think from a yeah abs from the point of view of uh, uh of changing their values and communicating that to all the people that are part of the organization and and interact with the organization and sharing that through written copy and 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 through leadership change and 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 what they're trying to do i i believe is is make those changes and then communicate those to their audiences i think that from a brand point of view on that side absolutely from a graphic identity i don't think it's and Ashley, you were touching on this earlier. It's not really that wouldn't be first on my list. Uh, uh, sure, they could update it, but it's more about the organization's values and the approach that they're taking and how they're correcting uh, and making adjustments to the way that they do the work they do. Uh, that's probably the first and foremost piece, and and uh, and certainly in the way that they communicate with uh, with that audience and are transparent about how they are making these changes. So. Not the logo. I mean, you could, but uh, if you wanted to, it's not like it's specifically a masterpiece. Um, I think it's it struggles visually from what most uh, or many uh, graphic identities do poorly, which is they try to jam too many elements into one kind of visual. But uh, that's not the that's not the issue. I think it's really about the organization and and how and how they communicate the change that they need to make. Ashley, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think this goes back to what constitutes a rebrand, right? I mean, to visually change Hockey Canada because of the scandal, I think would be, um, you know, not, I'm trying to think of the right word, um, not suicide. So I want to say it. It would just be brand suicide. Because um, there's a lot of people who really are very, very loyal to that brand. And, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater because of some missteps, some misfootings from some of the members of that league, I think would totally um, alienate a lot of their, you know, their base of like, you're changing everything that I know and love and I'm loyal to. We talked about the Elks. I think that's an example there. But I do think that there is 
you know, a communication crisis here. So um, I guess I'm just like a one for the retro brands. Uh, but when we think about Tylenol, the poisonings that happened in, happened in the 1980s, they could have completely abandoned ship. They could have said, we're no longer no longer Tylenol. We are now something else. But what they did was they course corrected. They had case studies. They had roundtables. They changed the way that packaging now exists for all of those pills when we have a headache or frustrated and we can't get it open that's because of something that tylenol did and the way that they kind of restructured how they approach things so i think for hockey canada specifically it's about looking at protocols it's maybe suspending players it's putting out a public statement it's about how they make you know value add moving forward we're never going to let this happen again here's what we stand for here's who we are we are hockey canada we're better than this I love it. Um, Ashley Harrigan is the creative director at Zag. You can check out what they do at a to zag.ca, and we'll certainly put that in the show notes. Uh, she's joining us from New York. Josh Dunford is the founder of BurnKit, and you can check out what they do online at burnkit.com. He joins us out of Vancouver. What a wonderful morning. What a great conversation with the both of you guys. Thanks. Mad respect. Best of what you do. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. You got Thank it. You. You got it. That was really neat. I had no idea about the original Apple logo. The original Apple logo is terrible. <laughs> it's so busy. It looks like the it looks like the front cover of a children's storybook. It was really bad. Let's bring it up. It was here again, really bad. It was... Yeah, it was really. F- I had no idea. Like it's it's literally. It looks like a a children's storybook from the eighteen hundreds with like the 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 big apple tree and it's sort of. I mean, I guess it's kind of neat in a nostalgia way. But you can imagine that logo on the back of your phone. There's no way. I would not use a laptop with this in the center. No. On the top. <laughs> I love Michael's comment. He says, Apple was the best rebranding I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, Michael says, when they switched from the rainbow apple to the white apple yeah, with I the bite that. out of it, um, says the company just completely changed direction. 100%. Yeah, Michael, I'm with you. Like, you think of that. That was kind of when, you know, when the, when the, um, I the IMAX they, first came out. Remember the, the colored ones yeah. that would have been like the mid 90s? And then, and then, the, and then the, the era, the Steve Jobs era of, the, of the, the first iPod, the iPhone, and then that just boom. Yeah, up, right up around 2000, I remember when I got my first Apple laptop and, and the Apple glue, it glowed on the front, right? Oh, yeah. That was like no other laptop had that when you opened it up and the and logo would glow on the front. That was just a game changer. Yeah. Very cool stuff. You can let us know what you think of this. I would, I would, um, I, I mean, you know, a ton of you have, have amazing thoughts on this and, and, uh, and, and I'm sure that, you know, there's going to be people that work in the space that are brand experts, marketing experts that are going to hear that conversation with Ashley and Josh. And, uh, we'd love to hear from you anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We do have a tradition that we're going to get to here in just a second trash talk. And, th- and this is a way that a lot of you chime in on what you've heard here on the show through the course of the week. But first, we want to give a big shout out to our partners that make this show possible. Um, we've talked a lot about the energy industry and the environment over the past two weeks. Like I think like five or six or seven different conversations on things like oil sands emissions and orphan wells and methane. And we want to drive these conversations that sometimes don't get as much attention as they need. And these are supported by Pathways Alliance. You know, oil sands operations contribute significant carbon emissions in Canada, so the six largest companies are working together. They're working together with government to take strides on the path to net zero from their operations. Now, part of that plan includes developing a proposed carbon capture and storage network by 2030, seven years from now. It's one of the world's largest 
This in partnership with Canadian Natural, Synovus, ConocoPhillips, Imperial, Omega Energy, and Suncor. You can learn more about what they're doing by visiting pathwaysalliance.ca. If you're a professional engineer, you don't even have to be working in Canada right now. If you're a PNG and you're sick and tired of where you're working, you don't feel appreciated, you don't feel stimulated, you don't feel like your career is on a trajectory that you're comfortable with, we want to recommend you check out apexautomation.ca. They're hiring right now and across the spectrum. I mean, you may have experience in energy, in drilling, uh, maybe in natural gas. Maybe you've got experience in potash mining, as an example off the top of my head. Maybe you want to work with autonomous vehicles in agriculture, in robotics, in brewing. You name it, Apex is automating it with their team based out of Alberta, but working across Western Canada and down into the U.S. Congratulations to them on their new field office in Texas. They celebrated their 10-year anniversary back in November and were featured in the Business in Edmonton magazine, celebrating their commitment to corporate culture, putting people ahead of profits. That's why Apex Automation is Canada's fastest-growing automation firm. You can learn more about working for Apex at apexautomation.ca. And we want to give a shout-out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration this morning. We're so grateful each and every morning that we walk into this studio for their attention to detail and their professionalism. We trusted them with a big project. That was our Studio 2.0, and boy, did they deliver. Uh, I love telling this story, and I've told it to you several times. It's such a small story, but it says so much. They were drilling a hole in a wall to mount one of our cameras, and they had one guy below the guy in the drill with a vacuum making sure no dust hit the floor. Doesn't that say a lot about how Complete Care Restoration approaches their work? Now, they're used to walking onto disaster sites. They're used to helping people get back on their feet after fire or flood. They're used to getting rid of mold and asbestos in a manner that people can trust. They know that you need your home or your workplace to be 100% safe. You need to be able to trust the process. You can trust Complete Care Restoration. And if disaster strikes, you'll find them online at Complete Care Restoration. Do you have a favorite brand or logo? Was there one that we didn't mention in that conversation that you were thinking of, a logo or a brand that really resonates strongly with you? No, I don't have a favorite, but I thought it was interesting when you were talking about the toothpaste because that's something that's so, like, I don't think there's a lot of differences in toothpaste. Like, mainly, if you go look at the ingredients or the cost, it's all kind of the same. I thought that was so interesting that you visually just navigate to the Colgate. Is it something you've just always used it? Is it from your childhood? Like, well, and I can't, I, and I said- You even, can't explain it. I, I said even to, to our <laughs> panelists, I can't explain it. It's not like the Crest logo is bad. No, and, and Crest might actually be really great toothpaste. Like I, it might actually be better toothpaste. I'm sure like, nowadays they're all very similar. You know, yeah, because they're probably all the same. Yeah, that's but, what but, I'm saying. But yeah, I have no idea why, but I just, I just think that marketing and branding is so powerful and, and we are so susceptible to it. When I think of a logo, a logo that didn't come up, um, I'm not even I'm not even like a huge Rolling Stones. I'm not I'm not like anti Rolling Stones at all. Mm. Um, uh, how can you not love Mick Jagger and Keith Richards? I can't even believe Keith Richards is still alive. Knock on wood. Amazing <laughs> legacy. These guys are like well, obviously, if not the the greatest rock band, but but one of the greatest bands of all time. But other bands would kill 
for the recognition or the brand power of that classic Rolling Stones. Everybody knows it, right? The big puffed up lips with the tongue sticking out. Sure, yeah. You know, I mean, that 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 to me is a logo that that says it all. And if you are huge Stones fans, you know, Donovan Workin, the comedian and mm-hmm. the improv guy, he's been on the show several times. Uh, Donovan was the guy that, that, you know, starred in Jason Kenny's Hot Boy Summer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's He's like the biggest Stones fan in the world. And I think he's been to like 30 concerts around the world. He takes his kids and stuff like that. I remember him telling me, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody else with a Stones shirt on, Mm -hmm. it's like you're immediately friends. Like the power of that logo, (laughs) the power of that brand and what it represents. There's a lot. Like I think of the NBC, the Peacock. Like even if it doesn't say NBC, you just know it. It's so iconic. I think of Adidas too, like the three stripes. It doesn't have to say Adidas. No. You just see the stripes in the triangle yes. on a shoe, on a shirt, whatever. You know exactly what it is. Uh, Starbucks, I think that's another like iconic logo, the mermaid or, or whatever in the green. I should have asked Josh um, about Starbucks because mm-hmm. he, he, he commented on how he found the Hockey Canada one to be a little bit busy. The logo is trying to do a little bit too much. The yeah. Starbucks logo strikes me as a little... It actually it may be similar to Apple in that the very first Starbucks logo of all time was very busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even the one now seems a little busy. But I, I don't know. I mean, who am I to criticize Starbucks? Like they've sold like <laughs> I a think trillion. They're doing okay. I think they're doing OK. They've sold like a trillion coffees. But so. I do agree with Josh. And I, I, I didn't know why Ashley was so against it. I think simplifying the Hockey Canada logo a little wouldn't be a bad thing. Like if it was if it, if it was some form of like a half maple leaf with like a hockey stick or something, I do agree that there's a lot going on there, and I don't think an updated version to the brand would necessarily signal like, yeah, y- you know, all is lost with unless, the company. Yeah, and I think what she was saying, like, unless people associate, like what she said, it said it all, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like the mm-hmm. people would be would feel probably. I don't know if I believe what I'm about to say. Do people feel more strongly about, do Canadian hockey fans feel more strongly about the Hockey Canada logo than the logo of their favorite NHL team? Maybe. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, Edmonton hockey fans were finally able to cheer for Jerome Ginla when he had the Hockey Canada sweater on, not the Flames sweater. Yeah. You know, and vice versa. Fans in Calgary were finally able to cheer for Ryan Smith when he had the Hockey Canada jersey on, not the Oilers one. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you, you do run that risk. Um, a lot of people are chiming in on their fit. Yeah. Like M8 can says ACDC and the devil horns another iconic sort of pop culture logo. Lauren's talking about Bose, the speaker company. That's yeah, another that's slick, a great logo. Right. Just simple. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Um, Josh talking about Paul Rand and his logos. His logo is like IBM, UPS. They're really simple brands. But when you think IBM, I guarantee our listeners, you're on the podcast right now walking your dog. You don't have a screen in front of you. You can picture the IBM logo, right? You can picture the blue with the white stripes through it. Yeah. He did a lot of great logos. The ABC logo and... That ABC logo has stood the test of time, hasn't it? Yeah. The UPS, I always thought, was ingenious with the package above it in like whatever the crest is. I thought that was really... Really good as well. And then there's ones, you know, the Golden Arches. You know, it doesn't even have to say McDonald's. You yeah, just see them. You just see them. You just see them and you just know, right? You just know. You could see them literally anywhere in black and white and you'd know what they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I used to think branding was so silly, you know? I used to, when I was younger, be like, you know, how do these guys, they put a font under a symbol and whatever. But it's now that I I have my own business, I'm doing this business with you. Like, branding is so important and it's so subtle 
and it's so subliminal. It's it's something that it gets etched in your brain and you have no idea about it until you see a, a partial piece of it or you see something that looks similar and you say, hey, they're trying to take off of whatever. And you're like, how did I even know that? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, there's so much that goes into it. Um, Cadmus Rex here with an interesting comment on the live chat. We love you live tuning audience. Honestly, what you bring to the table every day. We so appreciate you. Cadmus um, Rex says uh, Mick Jagger suggested that the tongue on the on the Stones logo uh, suggested the tongue of the Hindu goddess Kali. Um, I guess wow. the des- yeah, the design concept of the tongue was Got her to- on my arm. <clears throat> What? Yeah. Come on. You know my two two forearm Is tattoos? that right? Yeah. I've oh. got the goddess Cali on there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Very cool. Well, that hit close to home for you. Uh, the design concept of the tongue was to represent the band's anti-authoritarian attitude, mixed mouth, obviously an iconic uh, facial feature, and the obvious sexual connotations as well. Thanks for <laughs> Cadmus Rex chiming in on that. It was designed by... This is great. We're getting a lesson here from Cadmus. Uh, designed by John Pash from London's Royal College of Art, said to be inspired by Jagger's lips, but also his interest in the Hindu goddess, the goddess of death, destruction, and doomsday. Time and power as well. She's like the all-powerful, one of the, the biggest goddesses, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Always got her tongue out, yeah. including on my arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People are talking about car logos as well. I think of like the BMW logo, yeah. right? Mercedes. Which, which represents, did you know the BMW logo is to represent a propeller in motion? Yeah, because they used to make the helicopters and the, yeah, the planes and, yeah, and all that kind planes, of stuff. Yeah. And yeah, the Mercedes logo, iconic. I think you could, what are, what are the other, like of, of the car logos, what would you, what would you say is, is iconic? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's outside our price range. Bentley's is just a classic <laughs> B. I think looks pretty good. They're all pretty good, though. Like even like the Toyota Acura, I think they're all pretty good. Volkswagen as well. V Dub, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. all kind of they're all kind of the circular or the or the centered symbol. Yeah. I think of Audi too. Audi's a great the four Audi, the yeah. four circles. Yeah, Audi's logo is good. <laughs> it's Never really driven nice. an Audi. Yeah. Never had an Audi. My brother loves Audis. You're kind of like in the church of Audi. It seems if 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 you're an Audi fan. Yeah. Uh, but I guess you could say that about any luxury brand. Um, every weekend uh, we head you into the, the the Friday into the Saturday. Although some of you will get this special edition podcast on Saturday. It's the only special edition podcast we release all week and for good reason because you love it real talkers it's a chance for you to blow off a little steam and say what needs to be said to thousands of people it's proudly presented by local environmental services it's a tradition we call trash talk all right, this one from Michael, who says, Ryan, last week you had the federal environment minister on the show, Stephen Gilbo. Uh, it's baffled me for a while, but how can the government of Canada not realize that it can't be an all-or-nothing approach? It's all about striking the correct balance. If everything goes electric, do we have the infrastructure to handle the demands? Or will it be like places like California, where they're asking people to limit or not even use electricity at all during certain times? And Michael's right about that. He says, also, how is it the government doesn't see that unless the American Americans, China, and India get on board to cut emissions. It doesn't have an impact what Canada does. We are a microscopic polluter on the global climate. I'm all for companies getting more energy efficient and striving to help the planet. But unless the big three start getting serious, we don't need to kill our main economic engine in Alberta being the oil and gas industry. And then Michael very politely says, thank you for your time. Well, Michael, thank you for your email. How about this one from Cindy who says, Jespo, I can't believe I missed your live conversation with Matt Lemmers, the cannabis journalist earlier this week. She says, it's probably best I missed it live as I would have blown my personal feminist 
gasket on the live chat. So Cindy goes on to send us an email. She listened to it later. She says, here's my thoughts on the failing cannabis industry. She says, Ryan, I appreciated what you and Matt had to say, but the other elephants in the room were and still are terrible business practices by smooth talkers that have fallen upward. They've failed up and they have absolutely no skill in the cannabis space. A lot of cannabis companies don't even have an HR department or there's an unqualified person running the show. C-suites and boards across the industry are hired on cronyism, excluding skilled and educated women and minorities. If you're not a blue or white-collared bro, you have a very little chance to participate in the inner circle. There's CFOs with no accounting experience, bookkeepers with no controller roles, a CMO who doesn't know the first thing about marketing, cannabis advertising or branding, COOs, chief operating officers with no ag experience, no manufacturing experience, CEOs out of mining from non-existent operations in Nicaragua, giant salaries that are never based on revenue targets. Look in a cannabis company's parking lot in year one, and you've got $100,000 trucks, cars, boats in year one. She says many of these companies going under deserve to go under, and the overregulation should not be blamed for everything. She says pharmaceuticals is highly regulated, and this is a pharmaceutical product whether we like it or not. And don't get me started, says Cindy, on the sexual harassment, the cover-ups, and the blackballing of women that speak out. She says thanks to the two of you for what you do. Hey, thank you, Cindy. We sure appreciate that email. What about this one from Mike? I love emails that start like this, Johnny. Mike starts, I don't want to be a dick, but... (laughs) But I will. Can you please ask why everybody's being so alarmist about Bill C-18 and the loss of news access on specific social media platforms? Like, do these alarmists not know how, like, bookmarks or URLs work? It's not like they won't be able to access the content. They just won't get it through platforms that are largely already phasing out that content or are gamifying it to polarize positions through content selection algorithms. Mike's on to something. He says it seems like the lack of access issue is getting blown way out of proportion. Don't get me wrong. I think the bill is badly designed, and I think that it only seeks to serve legacy media, but this seems like the wrong way to get people concerned about the state of media or social media in Canada. He says, I would love for less alarmism and more real talk in our media. So thanks to this show for that. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate it. And this from Trevor. Trevor says, I'm absolutely sickened by Alberta's premier and the housing minister Nixon's negligence and failure to address the housing emergency. Says it was a chilly night in Edmonton earlier in July. And let me tell you what I saw by walking past an encampment. People sleeping in garbage bags, so camouflaged they could have been confused for trash. People burning grass, even their own feces to stay warm. I asked if they needed help. They said, don't tell anybody. They said, please don't tell the police or the provincial sheriffs, or all they'll do is show up and throw our personal belongings in the trash and then fine us for littering, and we can't afford that. Trevor says we're in a housing emergency. This is not business as usual. Thousands of Albertans are sleeping rough each night, and the Premier thinks the biggest issue is federal intervention. Frankly, we need federal intervention. We need the Army setting up tents, safe sleeping areas, hot meals and showers, and social supports, just as one would do for a refugee crisis abroad. He says this week, this most recent week, the deadliest week ever. 
for drug poisonings in Alberta. How many dead indigenous and homeless people will it take for the premier and the minister to care about the average Albertan? That from Trevor. You can send us an email for Trash Talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's proudly presented week in and week out by local environmental services. Have an amazing weekend, Real Talkers. We'll see you back here live on Monday morning. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepherd. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Perry Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.